Check, testing. There we go. All right. Thank you. So it's good to be with you this morning. And uh, it's going to be fun just to Amen. share some things I think that will be real helpful for all of us, myself included. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the benefits of being a minister is you can actually learn from, it's kind of crazy, but learn from your own preaching. Amen. And, uh, Amen. Uh, so a lot of times uh, I'm receiving a whole lot more than you would imagine and you think I'm giving, but I'm also receiving. And so today it'll be very much like that. Uh, so the material that the Lord has me on even this morning for you is kind of in the ballpark of what I've been preaching a lot whenever I travel out. And a lot of that has to do with uh, just the Lord kind of putting me on that assignment for, uh, I don't know how long, but at least I know he wants me on this assignment. So uh, uh, it was pretty simple this year. He said to me, this will be the hardest year of your life or, and I'm, I like that there was an or, or. Amen. you know, because otherwise I would have to gear up for this to be the hardest year of my life. And yeah. I don't really care for that. He said, or if you'll keep preaching the things that I've given you and practice them and live them, he said, it'll be the easiest year of your life and they'll be more accomplished and more done than you would have imagined. And so uh, I'm going to just keep on doing that. So when I go out, you know, um, I throw this kind of information. You can turn your Bibles to Titus chapter two, if you'd like. But I throw this into no matter what I'm doing, you'll always hear an overtone of this or an undertone, however you want to say it. Sometimes it's more loud, sometimes it's not as much, but it'll always be there, kind of things that I'm sharing with you now. But um, especially when I go to other places than where I, uh, let's just say my healing center, the healing center that we've started. Well, preaching there, um, the undertone of what I'm sharing today is always there. So it's not like I would have to preach a direct message on what I'm saying right now for everyone that comes on a regular basis to know what I'm going to say. But when I travel out to other places, uh, you'll hear what I'm going to share with you. It's kind of somewhat along these lines because most places don't get this perspective. And you know, everything is about perspective. I mean, you can be given a certain perspective that leads you into a truth, and you can be given a different perspective that leads you into information. And, and the, the really, semantics really are very interesting. You know, I mean, I remember back in the prayer and healing school days, and of course, when I first started, and I don't share these kind of things to make light of anyone that went before me and what they did or didn't do. That's not my place, Okay. But it was a healing center. And I found out that for the majority of many years, there were no healings. It had just turned into a teaching center uh, where we would minister to people and you encourage them to be healed as they went back to the same place that they got sick at. Mm. Like, like for instance, someone who's sick, let's say in Timbuktu, is going to come to the healing center thinking, when I get there, I will get my healing. Right? So to be encouraged that you have your healing, but there's no tangible evidence, and you got to go back to where you got your sickness and somehow stand in a different way than you were standing before to believe that you're going to see something that you couldn't even see at the place that's called the healing center. I mean, pretty much all bets are off. You're not going to get anything. 
Does that make sense? So I didn't know it was like that, but we began to say things different. And people would say, well, it's a matter of semantics. I said, well, semantics then will kill you or they'll heal you. Because if what I'm saying is just a different way of saying it, well, then why is it producing something? And when we said it this way, it didn't produce something. So really, how we share what we do is very important because Jesus even said, take heed what you hear. So the information has to be right, which means it could be wrong. And then he says, take heed how you hear so you could hear it right or you could hear it wrong. So if you're getting the wrong information, hearing it wrong, that's a double negative. You probably don't have much of a chance of experiencing anything, right? But if you're hearing the right information, but hearing it wrong, you still won't get anything. So the, the reason why I took you to Titus and chapter 2 is because it's just a definition here of grace. And I'm reading in the Passion Translation, and I wasn't expecting to actually go all the way down to verse 15 from verse 11, but I was kind of prompted just a moment ago when I went ahead and and copied these, and it was just a moment ago while we were singing, I copied these into my notes, and then I just felt like, well, what's the rest of the verses? Because I only always read 11 and 12. What do the rest of the verses say? And so then I'll share those with you in a second. So it starts in verse 11. God's marvelous grace has manifested in person. Well, that would be Jesus, right? Bringing salvation for everyone. This same grace teaches us how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles. So the first thing you could say, and you could do this a bunch of different ways, and it would be all right in each way. You could say if, if Jesus is the grace of God and Jesus teaches us how to live each day, then you could go to the gospel messages and see what Jesus has to say and you could find what? A teaching that would help to turn your back on an indulgent lifestyle or the world. Or you could also see that this same grace, meaning grace is not just Jesus himself, but it has to do with God's influence in totality is everywhere influencing us and teaching us how to turn our back on the world and how to turn our face toward God. Now, isn't it interesting? The first thing that's being taught is how to turn your back on the world. And I, and I know that kind of goes a little bit against the idea that the first thing we want to do is we just want to indoctrinate you into who you are in Christ and all the amazing blessings that you have in God and how God is a God of love. And, but it is, it's interesting, the first thing that it's teaching you is actually about the world and turning your back to the world. And you say, I wonder why. Well, maybe it has to do with, depending on when you were saved, I was saved as a four-year-old boy, so there's not too much grace had to teach me about the world because I wasn't really attached to the world. But depending on how long you've lived in the world, maybe not only the things that all of us know that are wrong. I mean, your own heart will tell you, don't hurt someone else. You don't have to be saved for that. I mean, people that do hurt people are mentally disturbed. Okay, I mean, even the shooters there, if you if you actually do your homework on all these different shootings, you will find that there's one thing that's very, very synonymous with all of them. They are mentally disturbed people. Yes. Yes. 
like this last guy, constantly cut his face. And he did horrible things to himself and his perspective on others was deranged. Okay, when they began to just do, well, that's pretty synonymous with all of them. And one of the reasons why these people are like they are is because there's a weakness, there's a hole, there's a gap in, in their minds. And that weakness really is then contributed to being able to be manipulated. So when I share that, I mean, put two and two together. We have been in this world and not only the things that we know that are horrible, but then there's patterns habits and routines that are a part of everyday life people that we're surrounded by that become also our patterns, habits, and routines, which gives us perspective. And so much of our perspective that we've learned from the world doesn't work with God. So then we bring that perspective into what we learn and it taints what we learn. That's why as long as Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we probably have to discuss good and evil in order to find what's accurate and true. He said, well, just discuss what's good. Well, if you discuss what's good while somebody's actually seeing it through the eyes of what's evil, then how distorted will that good become? Now, as an example to this, I started this way back in the healing meetings that we had back in Ramah, is we didn't always see everybody healed. Now we had all kinds of healings, thousands of people getting healed, but we didn't see everybody healed. And there were people that would come sometimes for multiple weeks, even a couple of months from other places, you know, that would stay there. And they'd need to be healed. We knew they were going back in, let's say, two or three weeks. We'd minister to them. Power of God's come on it. Many times those people had actual change, but then the change disappeared and the problems came right back. So now we, we know there's a problem in, in either the way they're receiving it, their perception, or how they're holding on to it. Or, as you could see, letting go of it. So then we take them in a back room and we begin to pray and ask God, well, we're not, we weren't witch hunting, trying to find something wrong. In other words, just assuming they're wrong, but we were opening our heart to the Holy Ghost to see what he would say. And you would find with different individuals, the problem had so much to do with their perception of themselves. So in the healing center room where we were preaching wonderful things that made them feel really wonderful and really blessed, the, and we could help control the problem in that arena when they would go back and live you know, their life in their apartment or whatnot or staying with somebody, back when they were on their own, the influence of how they saw themselves came right back to them and they would lose things. So then if you look at that, what would be necessary? Well, to help them unhook from the ungodliness or the worldly mentality that would disrupt the wonderful healing that they were getting when they were in an environment that controlled their negative thinking to always see themselves in Christ. You'd have to unhook them. Because if you don't, you can't just be thankful God healed them in the room. They've got to be able to carry it for the rest of their life. That one lady, and maybe you've heard this testimony, it's a very simple testimony, but it's a really good one, 
is in Newtown, Connecticut. She was one that that in that meeting was instantly healed of tennis elbow. Well, I don't know if you've ever had anything like that. I've had a, a, some nerve just from playing golf or something, you know, and, and your neck sometimes gets stretched out. You got to really keep good posture so you don't let your neck get stretched out when you hit because then you can get real sore in your neck. And I've had that soreness go down into my shoulder and go into my elbow. And I, I, you know, every symptom would say, you've got like a tennis elbow thing here. Because, I mean, just painful. You get to try to lift the weight and you couldn't even have any strength there. Well, it was just all the, the muscle stuff that was going on here. When that got relieved, then actually this got relieved. But all I'm saying that for is because I didn't even really have it. But I had some symptoms like I had it. And, and it's not, I'll tell you what, if you got tennis, if you had tennis elbow, it is not fun. It is really painful. It's amazing how tendons inflamed really bring pretty intense pain to the joint. And this lady had that instantly. It was gone. Well, I'm, I'm walking like this out to the door. She's walking like this out to the door. And we met right there in the foyer. And when we did, I asked her a simple question. I said, hey, how are you doing? Did you get anything tonight? She said, well, I'm the one that got healed from the tennis elbow. I said, well, look at you. That's awesome. And she said, well, I do have a question, though, before I leave. And I said, what's your question? She said, well, all of it came back. She said, do you know why? And before I could really think, I said, yes. And then, of course, my mind is like, well, this is going to be good. <laughs> you know, because I really don't know what I'm going to say next. And she said, well, why? And my mind is like, yeah, why? You know? <laughs> and so the next thing I said was, well, it's because of the door right there. Now, that's the stupidest thing in the world, but there was something behind that. But because, in a sense, my mind thinks I'm making this up, even though it's coming out of my spirit, my mind is like, oh, my gosh, you just told her the door is the reason. That's the dumbest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. And she looks at me, she says, the door? And, you know, part of me is like, the door? <laughs> And I said, yes, the door. The reason why you've, you've lost your healing already is because the door represents the world where you have pain. And you've already changed your perspective back to that life versus this life where you feel it's a safe place and you received your healing. And she just, like her eyes just lit up. She says, oh my goodness, that is so true. And then she literally, in my face, started laughing. And I said, what are you laughing at? She said, it just disappeared again. <laughs> I said, well, do I have to? And she stopped me mid-sentence when I was going to say, do I have to explain this further? She said, you don't have to say another word. She said, now I realize who I am in here is the same person I am out there. And I don't ever have to lose it again. I said, that's right. That's right. See, so there was a necessity of what? Helping her to unhook from something so that it didn't cause what she received from God to be in some way hindered. Yeah. Now, this isn't my message, but let me quickly go through this and just give you the rest of this. It says, the same grace teaches us how to live each day as we turn our backs on the ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles, and it equips us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. So the first thing grace will do is we'll begin to teach you what's wrong about this life and your connection to it. The second thing grace will do is teach you what's right about Christ and your connection to him. 
So in the same way, the grace of God will lead you to connect with God himself. It will also lead you to disconnect from the world. So let me say it to you like this. It's very interesting. And people sometimes have these thoughts. And that is, the more they start to connect with God, the more they sense a sadness. And you would think, well, why am I sad? Why is there sadness about my life? I'm, expect, I'm experiencing God more than I ever have. And I said, well, the sadness is because the more you connect with what's right, the more aware you are of what's wrong. And the first thing that will happen as you begin to connect with him, then you'll begin to see all these misconstrued connections that you just lived with day by day by day that you didn't even know you were connected to that were a part of the world, the world's way, the world's perspective. And you didn't even know that it was a cloud in your view of Christ himself. It was a hindrance that kept you from experiencing him. And most of these things, sorry, I'm going to say this, but most of these things you find in the church. And you say, that's, that's a little rude. Well... Let me ask you a question. Is hell rude? Yeah. Is it extreme? Uh-huh. Is it absolute? Oh, yeah. Is heaven absolute? Is heaven extreme? Yes. So if heaven and hell are extremes and very absolute, and hell would be very rude, very completely, 100% ugly, very 100% wrong, like there's no good in it, it's just all the way then in what measure would you look at the church as a whole where we don't see as much heaven as we actually see hell and not say there's something wrong? Like, for instance, people sought to touch him, and as many as touched him, a whole thousands of people were instantly made perfectly whole. And it even says perfectly whole. Luke chapter 6. So see, the extremity of that means it's 100% good. One of the greatest deceptions, and this is very difficult to talk about, but it's true, is when you have enough good in your life to make you feel validated, but if you looked at it accurately, there would be more bad than good. And that explains the word gray. That's why Jesus said I'd rather be cold or hot. So in other words, on one sense, he'd rather have your choices all be bad because then the outcome would be what? Bad. Like I've hit rock bottom. Well, what does that mean? Well, there's nowhere else to go but what? Up. Or I'm living and swimming in the grace of God and it's so good why would I ever go back? But to live in the place where there's enough to validate that I'm a Christian, but I'm actually connected more to the world is the most dangerous place because you can trick yourself to believe you're okay when you're actually more connected to what's wrong. I'll give you a for instance. We laid hands on 100 people and 10 were healed. 
and we rejoice in the ten. But you should be sad. Why? Because 90% of them aren't healed. So if you did your math right, you would be a 90% failure and only a 10% success. Now, you use the 10% success to increase your success and remove it from being a failure. But if you're accurate, you can't go home thinking, I hung the moon. Jesus wouldn't have had a great ministry if that's how he produced. Right? He wouldn't have been a threat. What was a threat is what he said actually came to pass and what he did actually happened with such 100% proof that those that were spinning in circles had nothing to do but just hide or get rid of him. You know, I mean, Jesus basically, you know, to the Pharisees and Sadducees and all the other quote unquote preachers of the day, what Jesus did is while they were all running their mile at a 15 minute pace, Jesus ran it at a 3.5 minute pace. And they were like, who is that? I mean, they're just into their first quarter of a mile and all they're thinking is, Who's the fastest that could go up there and tell him we don't do that? And so one broke rank and ran up there as fast as he could, sprinting as hard as he could to catch Jesus. And said, we don't go this fast. And Jesus said, well, this is the speed that I go. And he ran back and told him he won't stop. So then they said, there's two more. We need two more. And take some hammers and, and, and break his knees. Because if... He won't stop and come back to the pack. Then the pack has to make a choice. Wow. This is what big corporations do. And this is what the biggest corporation in the world does. It's called the church. Amen. Anybody that actually looks like Jesus, we have to have a talk with you. Why? Because if you look like Jesus, it makes us look not like Jesus. All right, praise the Lord. Now you understand you know, how to look at some things. This is really good to look at things like this because things become more accurate when you look like this. So just real quickly, I have some other things to share with you. I'm watching my time. It goes on to say, For we continue to wait for the fulfillment of the hope of the dawning splendor of the glory of our God, our great God and Savior Jesus, the Anointed One. He sacrificed himself for us that he might purchase our freedom from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people who are his very own, passionate to do what is beautiful in his eyes. And then I like this 15th verse. So preach these truths and exhort others to follow them. Be willing to expose sin in order to bring correction with full authority without being intimidated by anyone. And the whole idea of being willing to expose sin, sin is really bad choices. So it's not about, hey, look at what you're doing, look at what you're doing. It's being able to reveal what is a good choice and what is a bad choice and don't back up from that. Why? Because we have been made in the image and God, image and likeness of God. And one of the greatest attributes of God's grace is he has given us the opportunity to actually um, control or orchestrate would be a better word, orchestrate every single day of our life. With what? With our choices. And we were made to choose to live in the connection that God created. And the connection was man's spirit was connected to God. 
Amen? And it was so perfect of a connection that Adam could see the spiritual world out of his spirit at the same time he could see the physical world out of his eyes. So there were two sets of eyes. Paul talks about that. The eyes of our understanding, which would be the eyes of your imagination. Or in other words, the eyes that see into the things that are unseen. Paul even made reference. He said, look at the things that are not seen. Well, that seems kind of really difficult to comprehend that. How do I see something that I can't see unless I have the ability to see into what is not seen? In other words, can my spiritual eyes open and begin to perceive and then actually see spiritual things the same clarity that my physical eyes see earthly things. Well, Jesus actually believed that the potential for your spirit to have clarity and to, to actually orchestrate your life was greater once you were born again than your physical man to do what's wrong. In other words, if you asked him, he would say, well, the spiritual potential that you have to see everything in the spiritual realm and actually conquer and walk in dominion over the physical realm is a million times greater than your physical man to actually walk and conquer the spiritual man. Now, again, if we've lived in the pattern of the world, what does the world tell us? Well, the world tells us that there isn't even another world out there. And the world will tell you that if there is another world out there, it would tell you it's really spooky and there's not many people that can actually experience it. And what I just got through saying to you is exactly what the church has said. If you have an experience with God, if you saw Jesus, if you saw angels, you had God talk to you, the church would come behind that and try to, in a sense, almost reprimand you to say, be very careful now not to try to have another experience. Because if you try to have experiences, the devil will accommodate you and you'll receive an experience from the devil. That's what the church says. Well, why would the church say that? Because the church is afraid that people won't need them. Every organization that controls are always afraid of somebody that thinks. Because most people that are controlled don't think. They just do what they're told. But when somebody thinks and says, is this really the best way to do this? In a controlling atmosphere, that's not always welcomed. Because that means that the plan, purpose, pursuit of that organization might be what? Wrong. And I've said for years, if you really want to be right, you have to be willing to be wrong. Because there's only one way to be really right, and that is to receive of God's grace for him to show you. And God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. 
These are very interesting thoughts here, and I want to show you a little bit more of this, but we do know this for certain, and that is Jesus came and demonstrated how to be one with God. It was always the goal. So turn to John chapter 17. Let me share a couple of, of really wonderful thoughts with you while then we take you on a little bit of a journey of the world and the ways of the world. And you say, why are you doing this? Because as we open up our minds and our hearts to the grace of God, the grace of God is going to help us to see what is accurate and what is not accurate. This is one of the most amazing things about God. Why? God always wants you to progress spiritually. Amen. To progress spiritually would seem to mean, well, let's just ask ourselves the question. What would it look like to progress physically? Does it just mean to progress physically that you sit on a couch and you get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger? And, or is there actually um, some type of activity that's involved every single day so that actually the fuel that you take into your body is used in your activity? And your activity then makes you tired, so you sleep really good at night. And you get up and you break your fast from whenever you ate last to the breakfast in the morning. And you eat, and then you get ready to have more fuel so you can be productive in your day. Isn't that what it's all about? Productivity. Well, spiritually, it's the same thing. But the interesting thing, and this gets into the mindset of the world that's also in the church. We think productivity in the world, but we don't think productivity in the church. We hold ourselves to a standard in the world, but we won't hold that same standard to our lives in the church. In other words, real quickly... And then I'll jump over on something real fun that you can see so that we don't, you know, load you down with just interesting uh, negativity. But people would look at a church with 10,000 people and automatically think this is so successful. Look at the grounds. The, they're so beautiful the way they're kept. Look at the buildings. Oh, my goodness. The parking lot is like 10 times the size of Walmart. Are you kidding me? Look at what's going on here. The people are flooding in and coming out. and It's just so amazing. They got a program for everything. Well, see, we would look at it from the productivity of the world, but the productivity of the Spirit has to do with how many of those 10,000 people are actually connected with God where they're getting answers to their own prayers, where they actually have testimony in their life. See, there's many of you in the room that I know that send me testimonies, which is what? The proof of a connection. Remember what our Father is glorified in. Much learning? No. You don't get a star for much learning. Are you encouraged to learn? Yes, you are. But why would you learn? So that you can produce. What we encourage ourselves in is God is glorified by what? Much fruit, which is the same thing as saying much testimony. Right? Amen. If we start thinking right, again, what it's going to do, it's going to do two things. One thing it'll do if you start thinking right, it'll make you sad momentarily. But in every moment of sadness, as you see yourself connected to something that isn't right, the moment you acknowledge it, grace is there to automatically work in you to connect you to what is right. 
And God's grace isn't just the connection. God's grace is also the desire and the ability to connect. Philippians chapter 2, we see Paul made reference to, he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There you go. And if you didn't go any further, you think, that's right. I got to read more. I got to study more. I got to pray more. I got to do more. I got to go to church more. I got to. And you will wear yourself out with you being involved, with you trying to do something to, to, to improve on what only Jesus could do himself. Work out your salvation. Well, what does work out your salvation mean? Well, the very next verse tells you, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, creating in you and empowering you with desire and ability so that you can do of his goodwill, pleasure, satisfaction, and delight. In other words, your work is to embrace what he's doing to create something in you that actually propels you forward spiritually. Your work isn't to do it. Isn't to come up with it. Your work is to embrace that he's doing it. And when you embrace that he's doing something for you that you can't do, that's when you begin to experience new desires, new thoughts, new motivations, new excitement, new empowerment to actually connect with God and experience something by his grace. And you'll step back and say, there is no way that could have happened without God. Amen. And if you have five or six of those experiences every single day, there is no way in the world, I'll guarantee you and I'll bet you a shiny new dime, there is no way in the world you will ever have a lapse in your Christianity where you will one day feel like, wow, I'm just not excited anymore about Jesus. Impossible. Impossible. Because when he's empowering you and you're embracing what he's doing and he's showing you new things and there's a new excitement that comes from God's grace, you will experience things you can't experience on your own. And when you see that, you automatically go, I want more of that because it's amazingly, uh, what would the word be? Uh, there's an amazing uh, addiction to it. You know, you take any word, and if you bring it over to God, you realize that there's a pure form of addiction. I'm like, I got to have more of them today. Lord, it was great yesterday, but grace, the, uh, the to-do list is even greater today. What would you talk like that for? Because I'm letting the grace of God know the influence of God that's everywhere, that I'm expecting to connect with God in a greater measure today than I ever have yet. Well, Grace, I'm just hoping that we'll have a better day today. That doesn't work. That's like saying, boy, I sure hope I catch some fish today. Or the difference would be, the godly perspective would be to go to your trunk, open it and say, hmm, I don't know. And someone says, what? I don't know if it's big enough to handle all the fish that we're going to catch today. You see, there's a difference. One's hoping to expect a catch. The other knows you're going to catch. It's just, do we have enough room to handle all that we're going to catch? Yeah. All right. John 17, 20 to 27. We still have a few minutes. In the Riggs translation, so follow along the best you can, but it'll be different. 
It says, such is my prayer for these beloved disciples, but my heart's desire reaches out beyond them to all believers in all times and places who shall by means of their preaching come to faith in me. And what did, what did Jesus just say? He just prayed for you. It wasn't just for his disciples, but in all times and all places through their preaching, those that believe. And that's all of us right here. We're believers. He was praying for us. Well, what was he praying for us? May they all, O oh Father, be one. Let nothing imperil the unity of those who accept me as their Savior. You mean there are things that will imperil, or in other words, hinder the unity? Because if you step into him and he steps into you, I'll guarantee you it's going to be greater than, uh, you know, you just having something or having too much to eat and feeling like, whoa, wow, I really ate too much. Well, see, you're aware that something's on the inside, right? Well, if God steps into you and you step into God, you should be so aware that the, the head of the universe that created everything that's so amazingly large somehow is able to get inside of your spirit and become absolutely one with you. So you're no longer just you. You are him and he is you. He is you and you are him. And there's such a unity that you no longer think like you because you're not just you. You no longer act like you because you're not just you. Samuel, if you could lift 300 pounds and I could lift 100 pounds, if I stepped into you, you could lift 400 pounds. So now you wouldn't look at something that was 250 and think that you'd have to give it your best because it's just 50 less than your best. Now you think, I've got so much reserve, I'll just reach down and grab it, pick it up, and just walk a mile with it if I need to. You start thinking different. You start perceiving different. Now you've got the answer to all things. You don't look at anything as a problem if you have an answer. Jesus made everything look simple because he didn't do it in himself. He did it in his father. So he would look at a withered hand and say, you can now stretch that out. Well, why could he stretch it out? When you're in the presence of the answer, there's not a problem. So you start thinking different when you're one with him and he is one with you. So is it possible there's something that can imperil the unity? Well, yes. It's the wrong thinking, the patterns, the habits, the routines that make us feel less than we are. It's the people that stand up and preach, well, you need a gift of the Spirit in order to have a manifestation. See, that didn't come from God. Who does that serve? Does that serve God while it makes you feel a little bit lame about yourself because you don't feel like you have a gift? And then the prophets and the apostles and the evangelists that are supposed to have them don't seem to operate much in them anyhow. And they're called especially to have them. So if they're special and they don't seem to operate in them, and it's only as the Holy Ghost wills, which obviously seems to indicate without seeing much that he's not really active. We've just entered a period of time where the Holy Ghost actually likes to tape a lot of naps. You can't just count on him all the time. See, if you buy into some of these mentalities, what it'll do is it'll hinder and imperil the unity of you just seeing yourself like the Christ. If I'm just like him, then don't I carry the same answer because he's living in me? Isn't this the great mystery of the church, Christ living in me? Now I get to use his glory? The hope of glory doesn't mean I'm waiting for the glory. The hope of glory means I get to use what he brings with the package. 
If he brings greater firepower, I ought to be able to use what he brings. If it's beyond my ability, I ought to be excited about doing things that I normally couldn't do. And then that begins to shape the way you see things. So you don't see a crisis the same way somebody else does. Now the problem here is, if the greatest majority, like 99% of even the church world is going that way, and you're starting to see this, you're going to be going against not just a trickle in a stream, you're going to be going against a tidal wave, a flood. And all the church people on the way while you're walking here will say, come walk with us. Come walk with us. Walk with us. Why would you walk against? Walk with the flow. And you'll even sometimes find yourself go, oh. and then it's this struggle because the mindset is so entrenched in the church that we are worms and wretches and we have no ability beyond crying out to God for mercy. We've been sung to for so long that it's going to get good when we finally get to heaven. But as it is right now, don't think beyond yourself. And Lord have mercy, don't have anything to do with these people that talk about Jesus living in you and you living in him. They think they're something. Well, no, we're just willing to think what he thinks. Now notice what it says as we go a little further in this. It says, let nothing imperil the unity of those who accept me as their Savior. As you are in me and I am in you, one in spirit and life, may they be one in us in order that by such a spiritual unity the world may be compelled to believe in the divine origin of my mission. Now let me ask you a question right now. Is the world right now compelled to believe in anything the church is saying right now? I didn't even have to pull at that answer. And even the second row immediately jumped right in and chimed in with no, 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 they're not. Which I like the way you said that because it's pretty definitive and pretty obvious that the church is not moved by, excuse me, the world is not moved by the church. They've already written us off. The early church turned the world upside down. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they realized that these men had been with mm -hmm, Jesus, which might cause them, if John and Peter preached the message, well, he stepped into me and I stepped into him, we're one in spirit, they might actually have to believe that because it says right there, they not only believed that, that they had been with Jesus, but the man who was healed was standing in their presence. Not only did they talk like him, but they've got a man here that everybody recognizes was what? Paralyzed, and now he walks. Well, what could they do with that? Nothing. Nothing. They beat him a little bit. They told him, don't preach any longer in this name, which is a shoo-in for them to do what? Preach in the name. That's like being a little brother to your sister. And she says, stop saying Jesus. And you say, what, you didn't want me to say Jesus? Is Jesus what you didn't want me to say? I'm sorry for saying Jesus. It just seems to be a thing with me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You wouldn't not say it. You would say it all the more. 
And Satan revealed right there what he doesn't like. He doesn't like when somebody actually is connected to Jesus because then when you talk about him, it's Jesus that steps out of you. That's right. Amen. The story of that preacher that had a vision and he was standing in front of Satan and he said the hairs on his back went up and fear tried to grip him and Satan started to tell him what he was going to do to him and he said he hadn't even said anything because again fear started to grip him and just like that Jesus came and stepped right into the middle and he told Satan off you can't touch him there's nothing you can do and here's the reason why and he backstepped right into the man and that man then looked like it was only Satan and the man but Jesus was now in the man And the fear changed to Satan, not the man. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? A few more moments. This is good. I like this. I have given them what you gave me, the glory of revealing the divine in human life. Look at what Jesus said he gave us. The glory of revealing the divine in a human life. He gave us the privilege of being able to release him out of us and people see God. That's, good. That's the privilege he gave us. The same way Jesus took that privilege to reveal the Father. And even his own disciples didn't kind of get it. They kind of thought Jesus was just doing these works. And all of a sudden Jesus said, well, you've seen the Father. And Philip said, well, no, wait, 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 wait. We don't know the Father. Jesus said, how long have you been with me? He said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So now what did Jesus just reveal? That Jesus had the privilege of revealing the Father by expressing him into this human life and showing the miracle sign and the wonder which revealed the Father was in him and he was in the Father. It showed everybody that something was different. And that's why Jesus would say something to a devil and it would obey him and the people would stand back in amazement and say, we haven't heard anything like this. I mean, this guy says things and it actually happens. This guy speaks a word and people are healed. What was he doing? He was revealing the Father that was in him. Remember, Jesus prayed the prayer. Lord, help them to know that they are one even as we are one. So Jesus did what he did because he was conscious that God was in him and he was in God. So everything he did was bathed in the press. We've got a pool being opened today. If you jump in that pool and begin to run... Everything you do will be what? Influenced by the water you're in. And when you're in him and he's in you, everything you do is influenced by the spiritual power of God himself. You're not alone. You're not stretching out your hand without you moving the water. When you go like this, waves happen. Why? You are in a substance that has tangibility. Everything you do in that substance will move the substance. Contact the stub substance and you will be influenced by the substance. Just don't breathe in that substance. Right? 
when you're in God, everything you do is in that substance. To become aware of the substance is to do what? Is to boister your boldness to do something with it. And there's your prescription in the book of Acts. People got filled with the Holy Ghost and became real bold. Why? They were filled with the substance. They were conscious of him. The more conscious of him you are, the more you look at the impossible and think, all things are possible. And so you'll step out to do something with the substance that is on you. People that watch you will think you're stepping out to do something in yourself. But you realize it's not you, it's him that lives in you. And the moment you step out to do something with him in you, the moment that that power that's in you that you're betting on takes over, and then you have a miracle. So it was always what? Get filled with the Holy Ghost, have boldness, and then you produce miracles. If this is how Jesus did it, this is how the early church did it, this is how we do it. And it says right here, we have the glory of revealing the divine in human life. And I'll go real quickly. Of knowing and showing forth the Father's love in order that they, as we, may live in and for each other. I and them and you and me. Again, he keeps going back to I and him, him and me. And it says, the result will be that the world shall come to know through evidence which cannot be denied that my mission is from you, Father, and the church is the church of God. What will be the evidence that cannot be denied? The signs, wonders, miracles, or the simple everyday testimonies of something happening in your life that's not you. Notice it didn't say here the testimony will be how much scripture you know. The testimony will not be you bringing your prayer log to people and impressing them with the hours you've spent. The testimony will not be your confession. It will be the direct responses or testimony of being connected to an individual that is greater than anything that's in this world. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. What should that produce? Some form and type of testimony. And so that we don't get our eyes just on something that we think is big, like a cripple walking. It's just as simple, the testimony of God in your life that causes you to appreciate something you see. Without even knowing it, you look and say, that's beautiful. Well, who do you think is in you helping you to see how beautiful it is? And you say, well, what do you mean? There's millions of people that are looking at the same thing, not thinking one thing about how beautiful it is. There's a connection inside of you that leads you to say, that is so beautiful. Lord, I love that. And then that same connection that helps you to see that will help you to see more. Why? Because God just can't make it unless you praise him. No, 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 no. He's not, not an egotist, narcissist up in heaven. Praise me, praise me, praise me, because I need it, I need it. No, we praise him, we connect to him, because he realizes the system is the more you live in him, the more there will never be an impossibility in this life, and it will bring glory to the, to the Father, because you will be producing one miracle after another, a testimony after a testimony, and what people want to hear out of you is not 15 scriptures that they don't understand. They want to hear a testimony. They want to hear a testimony. All right. 
If you're in agreement with this, then are you ready for what's next? Okay, you said, uh huh. Well, good. Obviously, the further people are away from God or from Jesus, the more distorted everything becomes. The world has sabotaged our perspective. Remember, Satan has no power. And even when he did have power, he still couldn't control people if they didn't want to be controlled. It just means he did have ability. But when Jesus took all the authority and all the power, now he doesn't even have the ability. So he really has to get crafty and use distortions, perversions, to have you buy into what's inaccurate to, in a sense, bring power to what he wants to get done that he can't get done unless he uses you. And there are people in the earth that are fully and 100% committed to him. And they can produce results. And we Christians need to wake up and realize there's a whole lot more potential out there and if I share something that would come from a witch doctor in some other particular part of the world, a third world nation, where a witch doctor would change themselves into an alligator and go into a pond, and then come up on the other side and be a man, that's not so that we can think of what animal would I like to be in the kingdom of God. No, no, that's, see, that's weirdness. But my point of sharing things is to say there's a whole lot more of what the spiritual world can affect in the physical world than we've ever dreamed of in the church. And we're still squabbling over whether or not the Holy Ghost wants to actually do something. Wow. Like he didn't prove it by putting Jesus on the cross and raising him out of the grave. We've misinterpreted that whole particular passage. And we're waiting on something while God's waiting on you. Remember? Perspective. The world has sabotaged our perspective. That's why we came up with years ago. And I'll, I'll go through this quickly. How you do life is how you do faith. And if your faith isn't working, it goes back to how you do life. Now you understand. We've been describing that very phrase. People's perspective can be skewed. And they bring that skewed perspective into the church. And then things don't work like they should. Well, it's not that you don't have faith. It's that the faith you have is misappropriated. I had this one guy, and I've never, he, he died. I've never seen anything like him. He was, uh, what do they call, accident prone? He was an accident in motion all the time. Like he would break his shoulder, go to the hospital on the way, on the way home, he would run into back end somebody. Like, like that's how ridiculous. This guy was a trouble. Like, like don't stand near to him in a lightning storm. Most likely he'll be struck, okay? It was just like that. And he complained to me one day, and he's a real pretty big guy, complained to me, he said, this face stuff's just so hard. I said, are you kidding me? You've got more faith than anybody I've ever seen. And he, and he looked at me and he got mad. He said, what do you think? What are, you, what are you saying? What are you trying to say? I said, I've never seen anybody manifest so many negative things in my entire life, which is just faith in reverse. Yeah. 
I said if a truck is in reverse or a truck goes forward, what's the difference between you know, going forward or going backwards is what gear you've got it in. I said you've been in backwards, but you've been using your faith for the negative constantly. If you'll just stick that thing in drive, you'll have more experiences in God than I've ever seen anybody. Well, he, he didn't know what even to say. See, it's our perspective. And we're not helping that perspective. Now think of this for a moment. Adam and Eve had the perfect scenario, did they not? Did they choose right? It's okay to say no. No, they didn't. They didn't choose right in the most perfect environment. So over 6,000 years later, what's the potential? We might not choose right in a unperfect environment. Mm-hmm. Well, you're trying to make me feel like I'm going to choose wrong. I'm helping you to realize the propensity for negativity is in the world and most likely you could find yourself there. In other words, most people, even Christians, are more f- familiar with what, with what is evil and of hell than they are what is good and of heaven. And that's not calling you a bad person. It just means we're surrounded by it all day long. It's in the news all day long. It's what people are talking about. It's what people are choosing all day long. And it's easy to go with the flow. Come on, when you are in a big bus or you're in a tractor trailer, the big rule always applies. I mean, I would be driving our big bus, you know, for the Ramus Singers and Band in New York City. Who wants to drive in New York City? But the thing I knew is I'm bigger than everybody. What does that mean? It means I am going to go now and you're going to wait on me. Did you use that so many times because I would have been caught and couldn't get out so I went ahead and started going. Someone had to stop. They might not have liked it, but the big rule applies. Now the big rule applies in the earth. What's biggest in the earth is not the church, is not the things of God. Now, potentially, they are way bigger than anything that's in the earth. But what I'm saying is, what we see manifest are the things of evil. So then what are we more prone to actually be subjected to? The things that are evil. Now do you understand why? You can't just make it through life with information, folks. This whole thing was supposed to be started with you experiencing God himself. And here's one of the misnomers of our society. See, years ago, if you were hungry, you did something and you got something to eat. Today, it's very interesting. We are hungry, we ask somebody else to do something, and if they don't do it, will the person even get up out of their chair watching their TV to go do it themselves? We'll go to a fast food drive-thru and we'll order the um, dietary whole food sandwich instead of the greasy burger that has fewer calories than anything on the menu. And the lady at the counter, when we're taking our money, says, in order to get this, you actually have to come inside. And we'll say, what? 
It's a drive-thru. I know, but you ordered the healthy menu, so we expect you to come inside. Oh my gosh, I'm going to go to another drive-thru until they give it to me. Now, do you see what just happened? We're wanting the healthy thing, but we won't do the healthy thing to get the healthy thing. So we're wanting the healing, but we won't connect to God to actually get it. See, our learning today has become the university where you learn information. And you love your information. But when you get out of your university, you don't know how to put two and two together until you have an internship or you, somebody just believes in you and then you're kind of like at the very low, low level, yet you got all this knowledge because you got to figure out how to actually put the little tinker toy together. Learned about it for four years. All the composition of what that, that, that plastic is like. The different molecules of the plastic. But the thing they forgot to do is help you to actually put one little Lego to the next Lego so that you can build something that you can actually use. That's right. So when you get out with your degree, now you have to go back to square one and put Legos together and make them produce something that's going to bless your life. And right there and right then, you find yourself at the square level of anybody that doesn't even know the information. And what I just described to you is a church. Let me give you a scenario. When, to come to, when you come to Christ and you get saved, there's this overwhelming excitement. Well, where does that excitement come from? Jason, you're one. You just got saved. Yeah, and from the knowledge that something happened inside of you, right? So just ask a simple question. Would you want to then take what happened spiritually and then try to find it in a book first or would you want to continue to work with what happened spiritually? That's a hard question to ask because most people think I just came against the Bible. I didn't. It's just that most people never had the Bible. We're a new generation that has it. The thing that can happen with the book is it's a book. Meaning it's a tangible book you can carry around and you can read all day long. And people like that because you don't have to switch worlds for that. You can stay in the physical world while you're reading the Bible about spiritual information. But if you learn to read about spiritual information and keep it information without building your Legos... You can be full of information that you love, that you read from a book that you can carry, but you've not yet fostered the relationship that came to you that didn't come because you were holding on to something. It became, came because you opened your heart to something. So the thing that made you excited is suppressed while we then elevate something that is of what? Is of this world. And you're saying the Bible's of this world? It is if you look at it as just a book. If you learn to cultivate the person that came in you and he becomes more real, as you read this book, you'll know from the very get-go that everything in there comes from him and it does nothing more than to make you more and more and more excited and you have more and more tangible experiences with him. And that's where we end up worshiping the book more than we worship the man.
And how did we get this? Oh, it came from the world. I said it came from the world. Think about the world. Food, clothing, shelter. Now, vacations. Never used to be vacations. Because you couldn't stop hunting for food. Because if you're on your vacation, who's going to go get the food? Who's going to go into the field and harvest it? Who's going to pick the apples and the strawberries and the raspberries? You have to. For your next meal. You don't have a refrigerator. So you can't just pick an overabundance. Because then they'll spoil before the next day. So you pick enough to eat. And then you go out and pick enough to eat the next day. And you find yourself, what? In a continual place of your provision and providing. They didn't have time for a vacation. Now we've added on the luxury of vacations. What do you mean? I'm talking about a lifestyle that had nothing to do with God. When they were in the garden, come on, everything was provided for them. And what did you do with God? You got to know him. You hung out with him. You talked to him. You walked with him. You rubbed shoulders with him. You were constantly in contact with him. So who was more real? Well, God was more real. Did you worry about provision? No, not any more than the, than the bird. Careless in the care of God, the message Bible said. Not any more the flower that's arrayed in such fine clothing that it's better than the 10 best men and women in the world today. The little wildflowers. See, God takes care of all that stuff while you hang out with him. But if we're not careful, we'll look at this differently and we'll forget about the him part and engross ourselves in what we've done in the world, which information. I'd rather have an experience with him than information about having experience with him. Yes, yes, amen. Did you hear what I said? I'd rather have an experience with him than information about an experience with him. Isn't this the reason why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you? I love the message Bible. It says this. It says, steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, and God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find your every human, everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. How do I know that? You see, that shouldn't even be a question. Because the moment you're born again, there's something in you that knows you've just come in contact with God. Amen. That's what you foster. And if what you're reading and listening to helps that to grow, you're on the right path. Because what that will give you is a testimony. Amen. Wouldn't it be really like crazy to marry a person and then read for the rest of your life about that person? And the more you read, the further away from experiencing the person you are because now you actually have become excited about reading more about what would happen if you were with the person than getting actually with the person. So now the whole paradigm has shifted that I'm actually excited about what might happen instead of what is happening. And in that particular distortion, you're not even on the radar thinking that there's something wrong with it not happening because you can't wait to hear something else about what it would be like if you did have it happen. And I've told you that's what the TV does for us. 
It eliminates all the responsibility and accountability of you becoming a professional golfer. So you just get to sit on your couch eating all the wonderful things that you eat, dreaming about someday maybe being something that you're not willing to put the work in in order to actually have it. Translate that over to the kingdom of God and we're dreaming about the healing and the experience that we're not willing to do what? To open our heart to the bigness of the person that actually is the experience. Can I ask you a question? If Jesus seems to the apostle Paul to say every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is already yours, all things pertain to life and godliness are yours, that's, what's one thing that that seems to suggest? We could say many things here, but the thing that I'm looking for is very simply this. Doesn't it seem to suggest that there can't be a lot of effort involved in having it? Oh, wow. Yeah. If it's already what? Yours? So the more effort you put into having something that's already yours, the more you continually compound the idea you don't believe it's yours. Is this helping anybody today? I know we're at the end of what we need to do here. You say, well, I'll give you some practicality. Well, what's way to, a way to begin to practice some of this and turn this around? All right. If you haven't acknowledged your own spirit, how will you acknowledge the Holy Spirit? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6 in the Message Bible, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. So what's the one requirement for the focus to shift from you to God? Be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. In other words, locate you. The moment you locate you, now the focus can shift from you to God and you sense him. Now, we, we did this for years. We helped people just a little tiny exercise. And I mean, however you want to do something is fine, but it always worked with us. And that is the realness of God is in my belly. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean my belly. It means the core of my being. But Jesus said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. He said over in Psalm 46, be still and know that I'm God. Or be still and recognize God. Or be still and experience God. Well, what does still mean? Does it mean I have to get my spirit still? No, 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 no. The spirit's supposed to be active and involved and experiencing the spiritual world. The stillness he's talking about is your body and your mind. So I would always put my hand on my belly like this, and I would recognize, number one, I have flesh. This flesh, ow, ow, ow. This flesh is not my spirit. It's my flesh. Then I recognize some simple truths that depending on how far you went in bath, you can just not discourage yourself. Just stay real simple. Two plus two equals what? Four. See, three. See, there you go. You don't want to get too, too, too complicated here. Four plus four equals eight. Ten plus ten equals twenty. Ten times ten equals 
100. And all of a sudden your mind's thinking now, because if I went to 12 times 12, who knows that one right there? 144. Where is that coming from? It's not your spirit, it's your mind. So I got my body, I got my mind located. What else is there of me? Can you get quiet and find the real you? Because just mentioning it, just the mention of it, instantly I'm in connection with the real me. Because everything else about me, that's how big the real you is. You get into too much 16 times 16. Um, and now your mind's searching for that. See, there's the limitation of your mind. And yet, that's just a small part of you. What about the part that is the makeup of you? That's the spiritual part. And I contact that. And the more I recognize me, the more I can recognize him. Because that's where every single leading and prompting comes from. And for those of you that are filled with the Holy Ghost, when you begin to speak in other tongues, it's your spirit by the spirit of God in you that begins to speak. And if that's not an amazing way for you to find you and him at the same time. Amen. All of this is to do what? To become more spiritually adapted, connected, aware, right? And less physically. Because we're already good at the physical. We can cry ow with the loudest of the people that say ow. We can get into drama just like anybody else and surround ourselves and feel overwhelmed with a situation. We can do that instantly without even thinking. We'll have to pull ourselves back because we just go right to the drama. Oh, what am I going to do? We do that with the best of them. Even the church does. What am I going to do? And God's there going like, duh. I'm living in you and I'm the answer. So we're good at the flesh. We want to get good at the spirit. So today, sharing the things I shared, not only presented the life that Jesus lived, but the caution that grace would give us to be careful not to allow yourselves to swim in this compromise that's in the church where you feel good about something. Now do you understand why to have a message that makes you feel good while you're still not connected is a dangerous thing? Because then you feel like you've got something that doesn't produce and you don't have anything? See, it would be better to talk like this and have your heart say, Lord, I want this connection. I know I have it in Christ. And I want it to become the most real thing. And just like that, ba-boom, grace has just fallen on you to help you to see what you haven't seen, to feel what you haven't felt, to be inspired by what hasn't inspired you at just a simple acknowledgement that you recognize you've been holding on here and it's time to let go and grace will connect you to God. It's just that simple. Because what you're fostering through every outward means, the Bible, your prayer and the Holy Ghost, your confession, your worship and praise, every outward expression is to foster an inward consciousness or awareness of God. Because when push comes to shove, what changes everything is you and God together stepping forward. 
your prayer filled with him as you pray. Not searching for good words and he's not in it. But conscious that he's in you. You're in him. Together, everything, you're in the water and you're swimming in a sun. It all comes back to the awareness. That's right. And if you're not aware that the way the world does things, the way the church has even does things, will say many a wonderful things and not know that people aren't really connected with the person. That's why we've shared some things with you, Jason, about what? Continuing to get excited about him who's in you. Not just learning more about him, but being very aware of him so that as you do learn about him, all it does is it opens the parameters of your imagination for more experiences that you weren't aware that could happen. It doesn't fill your head with knowledge and you forsake the experience. The Bible opens your mind. Can you imagine not knowing how to get the axe out of the water and a prophet says, give me a twig? And you would have thought he would have said, get everybody scuba equipment. We're going to scour the bottom until we find it. It was a borrowed axe, which is what man would think to do. And he said something because he had a cloak on him. He had a mantle on him that recognized that if God's on me, it supersedes anything that could be done from a human point of view. And it opens me up to things that are beyond me where he could even even contemplate that taking a twig and energizing the twig would magnetize the iron to the twig, throw the twig in, it floats... Now grab it, and you'd say that's impossible. But when you have the impossibility of God in you, everything is now possible. But if your mind can't expand to see it, you'll live in a very narrow place. The scriptures are one of the greatest ways for you to expand your thinking. Your prayer time, the Holy Ghost will say to you, do this. And you're thinking, that's the dumbest thing I ever thought of. But you do it because he sees beyond you. And it opens a door. And after you experience him in that measure, you go back and you think, now I have on my belt another notch beyond what I would have thought. And the experiences of life ought to be, I wouldn't have thought of that. 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 And that's how you know it's the Holy Ghost. Because it's not about what you can do. It's about Him showing you how to step over into what God can do. That's right. Can we lift our hands for just a moment as we're closing? Father, thank you so much for sharing with us things that inspire our hearts, that open our minds to how big you really are. And Lord, I can feel that tangible presence in my hands even right now. I thank you, Lord, that there is a tangible presence of the Holy Ghost in this room. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Just real, real quickly, 
And if you'd like to be a part of this, I'd like you to be. We're going to just go around and we're going to just lay hands on some people here. Oh Lord, I transmit that presence of God that comes out of my spirit. And Keisha, I thank you, Lord. The, that's it right there. The spirit of the Lord. Fire, fire, fire. You'll begin to see things and think things that you never thought possible. And then you'll begin to experience one after the other. And it'll so energize and so reveal his presence in you. It'll be like you got saved all <laughs> over again. And so you'll just begin to walk, praise the Lord, like you're walking on clouds, Jesse. It'll just feel that way in this next week. It'll be like you're walking on clouds, you're walking on air. It's like the presence of the Lord is so real, he's everywhere. <laughs> It'll become so real. It'll be a revelation. Now feel this. It's the same feeling you had when you got saved. It's that inward. And I can hear the Holy Ghost say, just stay super simple in your heart. <laughs> and I hear him just say, just laugh a lot. Stay real simple. Stay real lighthearted. And you'll find me. You'll see me. You'll experience me. You'll walk with me. And your heart will never be so excited. And everything that you learn and that you study, that you pray, will just contribute to this wonderful place that you're in right now. As we boldly say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. And the presence of the Lord within you is the life that you now live. Wow, thank you, thank you, thank you. Porogene, shamanda derefis to prophesy, emboros to profestran de decla fossa, ervasona brofaseted igla vaste, afilomon de broperevested este, filled, filled, filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> well, thank you, Lord. Filled with the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord. For the presence of the Lord is real. And upon you, Kamenjitege, Subredeste, fine, 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 fine. What you were fine with yesterday, God will begin to blow your mind. Hallelujah. What you thought to be amazing and good and accurate, God will begin to show you even greater. And you'll begin to see and you'll begin to feel and you'll begin to be moved to go into places of God and experience more of Him and it'll just blow your mind. Filled with God. Filled with His Spirit. Filled with His power. Praise the Lord, you're taking something back to Alabama. You're taking back a knowledge of God. You're taking back the presence of God. You're taking back the boldness of a of, of, a, of a woman who knows God. Thank you, Lord. 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 More, 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 more. It'll get more clear. It'll become more right. It'll become It'll become clear to your sight. You'll begin to see what the Lord has you to do, and it'll just get more fun, fun, fun. Ha ha. Fun, fun, fun to watch Him work with you. Yep, that's it, that's it, that's it. Hallelujah, just a couple more. Magina dei forabosh to prophesaneste prophadai infolomons to prefacesede seisede seisede. So I hear the Holy Ghost say that in your quiet time, He'll begin to come upon you and you'll begin to prophesy and you'll begin to say things and it'll become more proficient. And that work of the prophetic will begin to work through your mouth and there are things that will be set in order by just the things you say. 
Ha, that'll be pretty fun. That'll be pretty fun. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy... Well, that's it right there. We transmit that presence. That's it, that's it, that's it. I'll just say it like this, Batya. You'll just be minding your own business this afternoon, and the power of God will just cause you to feel like you're a drunk woman. Amen. You'll get so lighthearted. You'll get so giddy on the inside, and the Spirit of God will rise up in you. You'll find yourself laughing at nothing, and you'll laugh harder because you're laughing at nothing. Hallelujah. And you'll have your own little Pentecost right there in your home. Shaking, 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 shaking. There's a shaking coming, a shaking coming. None of wants to pray for Sestet. God's going to use you to shake things. Praise the Lord. He's going to use you to shake things. Hallelujah. You'll see it. You'll walk in it. And it'll shake things around you. And people, all that dead stuff will come off of people. And they'll see it. And they'll want it. And they'll ask you about it. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you just lift your hands for another moment as we close? Father, thank you so much for what you're doing, the simple things that we do, the simple way that the Holy Ghost helps us. We just thank you so much. Use the things that we've said, Lord, to open our minds and our hearts, not only to the negativity of the world, but the simplicity of acknowledging you and finding the grace to walk us right on through. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Praise the Lord. I guess you're dismissed. Maybe I went too long. We've got to tear everything down. But